Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast channel here on New Books Network. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, the host of your channel. Today, we'll be talking to Maura Neville Thomas about her new book, From To-Do to Done, How to Go from Busy to Productive by Mastering Your To-Do List. Welcome to the show, Maura. Thank you, Christina. I'm so happy to be here. I am so glad that you're here and you're going to tell us how to create and manage our to-do list and get our organizational skills together because now more than ever, we are all struggling to figure out how to do that. Before we dive into that really important topic, though, I hope you will please tell us a bit about yourself. Sure, I'd be happy to. My expertise is in productivity and I define the word productive as achieving a significant result. Really, I don't define it that way. The dictionary defines it that way, but it's the definition that guides my work, achieving a significant result. And whether that significant result is the most important thing on your to-do list today, or whether that, that significant result is the legacy that you will leave behind and how people feel when they are around you, and pretty much anything in between that people consider significant, that's that's what I consider to be my job is to help with. And I've been in the productivity industry for my whole professional career, almost uh, over 25 years. And I received an MBA at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And I have about uh, four years ago, I earned a designation in my industry, the speaking industry, called a certified speaking professional, which is a designation that has only been earned by about 12% of the professional speakers. And so that's, I, I speak and I train inside companies and I speak at industry conferences and I write books. I am so glad that you're here. We've got the right expert for the job. Um, One thing I do love to ask guests, though, is if they'll tell us a little bit about their own educational journey. Here on Academic Life, we're curious about how people found their path and if it was obvious to them or how how they got from A to B. It's a great question because my undergraduate degree was in economics, and I worked throughout high school and college and summers at a temp agency. I was a Kelly temp. I think Kelly temps are still around, but I worked in offices and I answered phones and I did sort of receptionist duties until I ended up, and actually even even the the job that ended up putting me on this path, I went in as a receptionist at a company that sold paper-based planners and and training to go along with those planners back in the day when everybody carried those big leather binders with the zipper 
and many of us still have the the shoulder pain to, to prove it. Um, and while I stayed at that uh, company, working my way kind of up and around, the U.S. affiliate only had about 12 employees. And I think at one time or another, I held all 12 of those jobs. And while I was there, I got uh, my, my MBA. And that was really helpful because then I ended up working with business professionals and CEOs and leaders um, in, in my business. And it sounds like you got an inside window into why people are disorganized and what to do about it. Um, where, did the, where did the drive to help people sort this out come from? It's interesting in that because it was really my first real job that wasn't a, that, you know, that I kept after, after being a temp, it's something that I, it, it took me a while to realize that this is a real problem. And of course we had clients and I understood that our clients had this problem, but it just sort of seemed like a rite of passage to me. I'm a, I'm a little bit older. And so when I first got out of school, everybody was carrying those big leather binders. A lot of people still do. But to me, that was a sign of being a professional. If you had the big leather binder with the zipper, then you were serious. And so it just seemed like the work that we did at my company was sort of a, just a rite of passage. This is the thing that everybody does and it's not a big deal and it's not really unusual. And then after a while I started to realize, oh no, the reason that this is a thing is because people are struggling so much. And when I started my own business now almost 20 years ago, it was the advent of, you know, smartphones and internet connected smartphones and constant distraction and all this new technology has arrived since then. And so it's just getting harder and harder for people. So it became a real passion for me to, uh, to try to help. And so if we can dive into the book. So the book from To Do to Done is part of a series um, it's the second book in the series. Is that right? It is. The series is called the Empowered Productivity Series. And that's because the Empowered Productivity System is what I call the workflow methodology that I teach. And so a workflow methodology to me means a collection of habits and behaviors that you can use to manage all of your responsibilities personally and professionally. So it's not, some people hear workflow management system and they think some sort of app or software. Those tools are important, but really what I teach is the behaviors for using all of the tools and technology that are available to us in the most efficient way and making sure that we run them instead of them running us. Because there are so many ways to get organized and organizing our organizers yeah. is uh, exhausting. Um, and so the, the books in the series, they break down aspects of productivity where each book sort of focuses on one, one skill cluster. Um, the first one is about action management. No, this book is about action management. The first book was about attention management. And the one that's coming out next is about communication management. Could you... Could you explain those three um, productivity cluster ideas for us? Yes. So the empowered productivity system is made up 
of different modules, as you call them, skill clusters. I like that. And so attention management is, to me, it's foundational. You can't really manage any of the other things if you can't first manage your attention. And so in that book, I talk about how technology and distraction are really robbing us from our ability to live a life of choice. And instead, we are living lives of reaction and distraction. And so to me, it's critical and it's foundational. And that's why Attention Management was the first book in the Empowered Productivity series. The second book, from to do to done is about action management. And that is because most people manage their responsibilities through some combination of sticky notes, flagged emails, notebooks that they bring to meetings with them, uh, maybe some sort of spreadsheet or Word document where they list a whole bunch of things, uh, lists on the refrigerator, their memory notes jotted on the back of business cards, right? Everybody is working so hard to manage all of these actions, tasks, responsibilities, not only the things that we owe to other people or the things that we need to get done as a grown-up, but also things that other people owe us so that we can execute on our responsibilities. So that's the action management piece that's covered in From To Do To Done. And the piece Uh, The third book in the series comes out on November 1st, and that book is called The Happy Inbox, How to Have a Stress-Free Relationship with Your Email and Overcome Your Communication Clutter. And that book is just what it sounds like. We all owe someone, some piece of, some return communication at any moment of any day. And so we all feel like we are buried under these, I call it the tyranny of the little red dot on your phone, right? We see those little red notification dots with the number on it and it makes us feel like we have to clear it. We have to get rid of it. I have to, I could do something right now. I could clear one of those little red dots. And uh, again, that's not a, a way to live a life of choice, So getting out from under our communication, what I often call our communication debt, is the topic of the third book in the series. And we were talking a little bit off air, and I was saying that I was really glad that these were separate books instead of one, um, because they're broken down into what I called a really nice snack size, which I want to reiterate for listeners is a compliment. I am a huge snacker, and I think they are the perfect meal size for me. So I think this is the perfect book size for uh, working on the idea of moving from to do to done. It's, you know, it's under 200 pages. It's, it's about 120 pages. Um, and it's got, um, short chapters. Um, it's got clear action items. Uh, things are really neatly laid out in a way that we can really grab onto them. And in a time when our brains are chaotic, Um, trying to manage a really long book that covers all of the um, empowered productivity, I think maybe would be defeating for us that we can take the one book at a time. That's the piece that we're really stressing about. And the book itself, the layout is really something that a stressed out, busy brain can grab onto. And so what we're focusing on today is moving from to do to done, what we're all supposed to be doing with our uh, to-do lists. And so you're here to help us um, deal with how we've got a lot of to-do lists and we're not getting any progress, (laughs) or at least not progress that makes us feel like we're achieving things that are significant to us 
in our in our actual sense of who we as a person are and want to be. Yes, it's a lot of people look to tools as the solution, right? I hear a lot of people talk about how they will chase tools. Somebody told them that this tool is great, so they downloaded that, and then somebody told them that they should try this app, so they download that on their phone. You know, they play they pay their dollar 99 and they download it and and they try all these things and they put a few things into the app and then they never open the app again. And that's because we are looking in the wrong place. It's not the tool that's the solution. If the tool were the solution, then anyone who had the same golf clubs that Tiger Woods has would play golf just like Tiger Woods. <laughs> but sadly, we don't because Tiger Woods knows how to use the clubs in a way that we don't know how to use them. And that's another distinction. People people think I am pretty good at technology, so I'm going to download this app and I'm going to look at the app and I can figure out how to use the app. I, I know I can see that if I click here, this happens, and if I tap on this, that happens, and here's how I set a due date, and here's a reminder I could have. But that's just the technical skill of the app. That would be like saying, so I have the same clubs that Tiger Woods has and I know how to use the clubs. I know that if I hold I hold the leather end or the grip end and I swing the metal end. So now I have great clubs and I know how to use them. So now I should be a golf pro. But it doesn't work that way, sadly. And it also doesn't work that way with productivity. So the I call it the methodology. How do we use the tools? What are the behaviors and the habits? And really, that's what that's what the whole product uh, empowered productivity system is really about. It's the habits and behaviors around how to use all of the tools that are available to us now. And you start breaking down for us how to make our to do list something that we're really going to be able to work with. What what habits do we need to make, and what does our to do list really need to look like? And so you you tell us. A couple of really key things right in the beginning of the book. One, it's not about being busy reacting to things. Being in that reactive mode is why so many of us are reporting that we either are burned out or we feel like we're on the verge of burnout. Living a life where we're just reacting to thing after thing after thing puts our brain in this really high alert mode. It's just not sustainable. So you ask us to go inward and ask ourselves two key questions, which is question one, what kind of person do you want to be? And question two is, what kind of life do you want to live? Because you tell us that what matters in life is getting significant results, that productivity is accomplishing what's important to you. So, Maura, how do we figure that out? (laughs) Yes. Well, figuring out – a lot of people do think that that's a really challenging question. Where do I want to go in life and, and, you know, what kind of things do I want to achieve? And I think think those are important questions, and I think that – mentors and coaches and those kinds of people can help us figure that out. But at the root, when I ask, I mean, those two questions, what kind of person do you want to be? Nobody struggles with the answer to those questions. People want to be kind and they want to be loving and they want to be thoughtful and they want they want to be good people. I've asked audiences all over the world, what kind of person do you want to be? And the answers just keep coming and coming and coming. There's, you know, we we could make a really long list, but it's all those things about, you know, helpful and 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 competent and smart and kind and empathetic and compassionate and loving and all of those things. We know what kind of people we 
we want to be. And then in order to answer the question, what kind of life do you want to lead? I think there's a very easy way to that question way to answer that question as well. And that is to think about if you are a hundred years old and sitting in a rocking chair on a porch somewhere, reflecting on your life, what will you want to say about your life in that moment? And nobody has a problem answering those questions either. Most people say things like, I want to have made, made an impact. I want to have been um, supportive. I want to have been um, loving. I want to have people around me who love me and who I love. I want to have you know left a mark on the world. It's it's not most people don't have much of a problem if you go to that basic level. What kind of person do you want to be, and what kind of life do you want to live? And the reason that I think that this relates certainly to the attention management part of the book, because people know when we're paying attention to them and when we aren't, but also to the action management part of the series, um, this latest book from To Do To Done, because I think our actions define who we are. If in your brain you think that you are the kindest person and your intention is to be so kind and you really want to live a life of kindness, but if out in the world you never commit acts of kindness, then you aren't really kind, probably, right? You might intend to be kind, but intending to be kind and actually committing acts of kindness are different things. And so that's why I think it's so important to be able to manage your actions and choose your actions and live in a way that is aligned with the kind of person you want to be and the kind of life you want to lead. And if we have those two guiding questions, then... We can't keep saying, well, I was going to do that nice, kind thing, but I never had time. No. I always meant to go do that thing that mattered, but I never had time. You tell us in the book, we all have the same amount of time. So how are we going to figure out what we really want to be doing with it and what we really are doing with it? So you take us through three stages pretty early in the book. You say stage one of using our time and managing it is that we're busy, but not productive. And that's where we're really reactive. We work incredibly long hours and we're on a path to burnout. But when we move into stage two and stage three, that's when things get a little better. Stage two is claiming proactive time. You're actually making time to be proactive. It's a good place to be. But the piece that you don't have yet is that you're not planning ahead in a strategic way. So stage three is moving steadily towards your goals and you're making time to break down what it's going to take to make those goals, to, to make that path, and to know that you're moving towards these important things for you. Um, can you talk us through how you decided that we have those three stages? Because they rang really true for me. Yeah, I, it, it's really just experience. I've worked with over 30,000 professionals now, and those are just sort of the three buckets that people fall into. And usually there are people, there are two primary kinds of people who gravitate toward my work. The first kind are the people who are just um, just overwhelmed, just can't just have decided I just cannot live like this anymore. I need help. And and then it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum is the other type of people who tend to gravitate naturally toward my work. And 
that those are the people for whom like the container store is their favorite store ever. <laughs> they are just super organized, but any little edge that they can get to be a little bit more productive, a little bit more organized. And again, my work is not about helping people just check more things off your to-do list. It's about doing more of the things that will make a difference in your life and in the lives of other people, doing things that are your significant results, your most important. So those are the two ends of the spectrum. But then in those two ends of the spectrum, I see people in these three different places. And one, as you said, is I just, I don't know, I just go to work every day and I do whatever happens to me. (laughs) I open my email and it's all downhill from there, right? Everybody needs me. I've got a hundred new messages that came in overnight. And, uh, you know, I've, I've already got a thousand messages in my inbox and, uh, I'm pinged by Slack or Microsoft teams all day. I'm on zoom meetings all day. I, uh, I, my texts are, are going off. There's emails, there's, you know, all these different communications and I could just, I just spend my days sort of putting out fires and doing whatever happens. And so that's stage one. And that means that you are spending all of your time being reactive and not making any time to be proactive. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash NBN50 to get 50% off. Stage two is, no, 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 I'm, I'm better than that, right? I, I close my email out sometimes and I understand I need to put my phone in do not disturb and, you know, I'm, I'm able to tackle the big things, some of the big things, right? I get the big, the big things done and I check at least one or two things off my list every day, but... I have all these ideas and I know that if I could just sort of look ahead a little bit, I could prevent some of these problems. And I know that I need to kind of reorganize the way this gets done or that gets done. Or, you know, what I tell leaders a lot in my leadership workshops is as a leader, it's not your job really to put out the fires. It's your job to prevent the fires from happening. And a lot of those leaders say, you're right, I completely agree with you, but I don't even have time to think my next thought, never mind, you know, look down the road six months or a year. So it's great when you can check things off your list and we all feel good about our days when we can check some things off, but we also need to plan and to think and to have ideas and to let our mind wander and to daydream and to just have that space in our days. And that's really stage three productivity is that you are, you are having the big ideas and you are 
um, creating the big goals and you are really charting a path and creating the space to execute on that path. One of the things I love that you have in the book is when we get to where we're ready to make an effective to-do list and you walk us through four or five chapters of how we're going to get to be ready to do that. So we have the tools and we really see how to use them. Um, But once we have that meaningful to-do list, you encourage us not to cross out what we've done, but to highlight it. Can you talk about that mind shift and why it matters? Yeah, it's an interesting holdover from the days of paper, right? What I suggest that people do is to collect all of the all of that stuff that lives in all of those different places, right? Whether it's in your inbox or your sticky notes or your notebook, and just do just make sort of a, a master list where you can capture all of that information in one place. Because here's the thing, and I talk about this in the book. I call it the puzzle strategy. Trying to manage your life when all of the pieces are in your head and on your sticky notes and in your notebook and in your app and on your calendar and on the dry erase board and in all of those places that we live, trying to manage your life when all of your responsibilities are all, all over the place like that is just like trying to do a puzzle when all the pieces are scattered all over the house. You have them all. They're all there. You could, in theory, do the puzzle that way, but it's going to be much harder and much more frustrating and take you much longer to do it. So the first thing we need to do is get everything into one place. And then we need to enter it into our tools, whatever tool we're using. And so I really like the idea of you get it into one place and then you start to put it where where it belongs in your new tools or your new system. And as you move it from your, you know, your scraps of paper or your master list into your tool, highlight it off instead of crossing it off because highlighting things allows you to, it calls your attention to the things that you have done instead of the things that you have yet to do. And so that is more motivating. My mentor Uh, back in the day, used to call a highlighter her PMD, her personal motivational device. (laughs) I love the the way that it's highlighted in the personal motivation device. I I mentioned, I think, off air that I learn a lot about what listeners need from this uh, podcast through uh, messages and things on social media that I receive. And one person was talking about having just so many to-do lists and being frustrated by them, even though this person gets the to-do list, to-do list done. And I had suggested keeping them all and just pretty much pasting them into a, in a journal. So at the end of the year, the person could see what it was that they had tried to accomplish, what they hadn't accomplished, and they could see what they value. And it did not go over well. That idea was not well received. Um, But it is interesting if we try to to really critically analyze, and not critically in a mean way, but in an intellectual way, how we're spending our time and why and what we didn't get done. Is the stuff that didn't get done maybe stuff that didn't matter as much to us? Are we being honest about what truly matters? Um, And so you ask us to do a few things to sort out where we're really prioritizing. One is that we should do this thing called a brain dump, which is so we can clear our minds. Um, Can you walk us through 
what a brain dump is, how we do it, and why we want to get it done. Yeah. And I just want to go back to that point that you made about that advice. I think you are absolutely on the right track with that advice. What I would suggest, though, is just a little bit of a shift because you're right, having that when we keep things on, on when we keep track of things and then we can go back and look at our accomplishments, it is motivating. Most people are motivated by progress. And so you're on the right track. But the reason that I don't often, I don't get to use my personal motivational devices as often as I used to is because I really think that these days it is much less efficient to manage our responsibilities on paper. Now, paper has its place, and I'm a big fan of paper. I'm a big fan of highlighting notes, and I do think that handwriting on paper or electronic handwriting on some sort of tablet or something, but the hand, the act of handwriting really has its place. But that place is not managing all of our thousands of responsibilities that we have to get done just because paper can't journaling is important writing out our thoughts really important but i think people have confused journaling with managing their lives journaling is about writing out your thoughts and helping you to get clarity on you know what you think and how you feel about things but managing your responsibilities is a whole different ball game and so I think a, a paper journal where you can write down your thoughts and your ideas and reflect on them is really useful. But when it comes to managing all of your responsibilities, my recommendation is a good task manager because in that case, paper can't remind you of things, for example, right? There's no alerts or buzzers on, a, on paper. Uh, paper, you can't back up things that are on paper paper. You can't reorganize easily or reprioritize things that are on paper. You can't group things differently in a very easy way. When they are on paper, you'd have to rewrite them all over again. Um, it's hard to share things with other people when they are on paper. It's hard to have that paper with you all the time when you need it. So there are just so many reasons that I recommend that people use do take advantage of the digital tools to manage their lives and specifically to manage their to-do lists, as I talk about in the book. But um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a place for paper as well, just everything in its place. That's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us about what the brain dump the brain dump for us. Yes. Sorry. Yes. So back, okay. to the brain dump. <laughs> back to the brain dump. Yes. So the brain dump is really just that collecting of all your puzzle pieces and getting them on the kitchen table where you can, where you can do the puzzle in a meaningful way. So the brain dump is really just um, collecting all of that stuff. Because if you write things on sticky notes and in notebooks and all those kinds of things, people tell me, I write things down to help me remember. But the truth is, we only have a certain amount of cognitive capacity available to us at any moment. And if you're using up a lot of that co cognitive capacity trying to remember that you have to you know, pay the car insurance bill and that you owe that person the phone call and that you're out of milk in the house and that you have to file the expense report at work and all of those other millions of things that are going through our brain, if that's what you're using your brain for, then you are crowding out that space to brainstorm and to have ideas and to see things in a new way and create those insights. And so 
if you're using a system, a, a workflow management system and the right set of tools, then you are then you don't have to remember. So a brain dump is really take all that stuff, take the sticky notes, take all the stuff that's on your mind swirling around in your brain and get it out of your brain. Because here's what's true. You can only manage, you can only truly manage what you can see and you can only see what is outside your head. So just like having all of the puzzle pieces in one place allows you to find the edges and see the borders and kind of get a a path for where you're headed, that's what your brain dump does for you. It allows you to get everything out of your head where you can see it. And once you can see it, then you can start to organize it and prioritize it and categorize it and, and really wrap your arms around it in a way that helps you get in control over your responsibilities. And you explain in the book that our brain is designed to do that. If we don't have our to-do list created and organized, our brain will fill that job for us. Just keep alerting us. You have a thing to do. Did you call the dentist? Did you did you remember to turn off the car lights? Your brain will just keep reminding you of all kinds of stuff because it knows that you have a lot to keep track of and you're not doing it. Um, Go ahead. Well, it's you tell it to, right? When you write th- something down on a sticky note, basically you're saying to your brain, don't forget, this is an important thing. And so your brain doesn't really know the appropriate time to remind you of something, so it reminds you all the time. Oh, it's 5 o'clock and you're trying to have dinner with your family? How about now? Oh, it's 2 a.m. and you're trying to get some sleep? How about now? Oh, it's Saturday and you're trying to relax? How about now? <laughs> don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. So we need to quiet, right? In, in attention management, I talk about how we have external distractions, but we also have internal distractions. And those internal distractions is basically our brain sort of running down our to-do list in our head all day long. So quieting that is really important. And so there's a PDF that uh, we'll go ahead and attach to this uh, episode with your permission that you uh, refer to in your book. You've created a PDF uh, about how to do the brain dump. And we'll also attach to this episode information about how to find uh, your books. Um, But for the time we have left, if we could explain to listeners um, a couple of key takeaways from the book. One is um, about how to organize our time. You talk about it's really important to know what has a weak relationship to time and what has a strong relationship to time. So if you could walk us through that. And then um, if you can help us uh, understand when we're making our task list, the difference between categories that do work and categories that don't work. Yeah. So first, let's um, tackle the first one, which is, um, remind me again what you just told me. Yeah, that was a terrible question. I'm sorry, especially for organizing. I, I info don't you. <laughs> okay, I'll break it down. So question one is, if you could help us learn to organize our time through understanding oh. two key concepts you give we- us. One is understanding what things yeah. we have to do have a weak relationship to time and what has a strong relationship to time and yeah. how that then helps yeah. us organize our time effectively. Yes, it's, it's a really useful point and I'm glad you brought it up. So a lot of us will, a lot of people make appointments with themselves on their calendar to do all the stuff that's on their to-do list. But some things have what I call a strong relationship to time, meaning it has to be done on a certain day. Like it's somebody's birthday. And if you, if you 
wish them a happy birthday tomorrow instead of today on their birthday, it doesn't really mean as much. Their birthday is today. Or something has um, something has to be done on a certain day and at a certain time, like a meeting or an appointment. Those things have a strong relationship to time. And so it makes perfect sense to organize those things using a time-based tool. And a time-based tool is a calendar or a calendar and a clock, right? For those things that have a strong relationship to time. But when we are young, we have our lives are very time-based. We are told what time to go to school. We are told what time school ends. We're told what we're doing after school. Our parents often tell us, you know, what time dinner is and what time we have to do our homework and what time we go to bed. And and we have you know, after school sports and we have jobs and all of those things are time-based. So using a calendar makes perfect sense when we are young, but then we grow up and we continue to rely on our calendar. And that's when we get into a little bit of trouble because we have so many things on our calendar that really have a weak relationship to time. As we get older, we have more discretion over when things get done. And, and yes, we probably have to be at work, between certain times of the day. But while we we are at work, most of us have the discretion to decide what we are going to do when, with the exception of the meetings and the appointments, which we have to go to, of course. But then we have this really long to-do list and it's all things that I could do it today or I could do it tomorrow or really I could do it next week or really if I didn't do it at all, maybe even that would be okay. But I just feel like I should do it sometime. So those things have a very strong, have a very weak relationship to time, or it it has a due date. But let's say it's a thing that is due on Friday. So it's due on Friday, but it doesn't matter, and nobody cares if you do it on Tuesday at one, or on Wednesday at three, or on Thursday at seven. All that matters is you meet your deadline. And so trying to organize things that have a weak relationship to time using a time based tool really just means that you are contorting to a tool instead of having a tool that works for you. So all of those things that have a weak relationship to time, I believe, should go on a task list, not on your calendar, because we are the first person that we will break an appointment with, right? You are the first person you will break an appointment with. So we try to make all these appointments with ourselves and then we break them all. And so that doesn't really help us. So Keep those time-based things on your calendar, but the things that have a weak relationship to time, keep those things on your task list. Now, if you want to assign a due date, I think that's a great idea to help you prioritize, but still don't put it on your calendar. Keep it on your task list and then sort your list by date so that you're not looking at your whole list. You're only looking at today's things. So that's a beautiful segue into the question about the task list, that we need to create categories that do work and categories that don't work. And you give us this great image that when we do that, we want to avoid something called friction. Our brains like to look at this list and say, oh, I'm going to start with the easy things. I'm going to get into a flow. And so when you created for us categories that do work and don't work, you kept that mental uh, flow idea in mind of what's going to really work for us. So when we're, we have these things that have a weak relationship to time, they matter, but they're not due this afternoon. They're maybe not even due by the end of the week, but they matter. We're going to put them on our task list. And then for a lot of us, that's where it falls apart. When we come back to the task list, we're like, ugh. 
So help us figure out how we don't end up in that trap and we create categories that do work. Yeah. So the categories are important and they are helpful, but there are many of them. And I feel like I can't really do them justice um, in in a few minutes, but let me give you a tip that people can implement right now. And it is related to exactly what you said, which is the idea of friction. You're right. We put things on our list and then we think, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. So what we need to do is we need to put things on our list in a way that makes it sound fast and easy because most of us gravitate toward the fast and easy things on our list and the things that sound big and hard, we leave until later and then sadly later never comes. So the secret is to make everything on your list sound fast and easy. And there are a few ways to do that. The first is that you should always start with an action verb and not only an action verb, but a verb that is actually actionable. So for example, a word like implement is technically an action verb, but if I said, quick, Christina, implement, go, it doesn't really inspire action in you. It's not really actionable. You're going to say, wait, implement what? What do you mean? I don't, even if I said implement the strategy. I don't, what, wait, hold on. What do I, what should I do? Or words like develop or plan or create. Those are action verbs, but they're not actionable verbs. So when you put something on your list, you need to ask yourself, what exactly, what specifically is the action I need to take? So for example, don't say um, research colleges. If what you mean is Google liberal arts schools in the Northeast, for example, right? Because research colleges makes you go, uh, where do I even start? But Google liberal arts schools in the Northeast has your fingers on the keyboard, right? You know exactly what that means. It's completely actionable. So being as specific as you can and starting with an actionable verb on your task list is really important. And then the next really important thing is that you should break them down into bite-sized chunks. So something, and in the book, one of the categories that I refer to, I, I call it a next action. So these next actions are single step activities and you know exactly what you need to do. And even if it's, even if it's a task that's going to take you, say, an hour, Break it down into something smaller. So if I see write the article about work-life balance on my task list, that feels hard and it does create friction for me to get started. But if I say write the three main points of my work-life balance article, that feels a lot faster and a lot easier. And as soon as I write down those three points, that's probably going to make me go, oh, and this is what I want to say about this point. Oh, oh, and oh, oh, and I want to say that. Oh, oh, and here's some more things. And it's very likely going to make me keep going. And even if I don't keep going, getting the three points down is better than not working on the article at all. So even just implementing those couple of little tips, I think will help people take more of their most important actions. I think so. I was really struck by one of the reasons that you explained that that works so well in the book. You, you told us that there's a difference between our mindset when we're making the notes for ourselves that we have to do something and our mindset when we come 
to do the item or the actions and and it's very different. So when we're noticing that we need to do something, we might write a note for ourselves like make budget. And then when we come to the time that we've got to make the budget and the only note we have for ourselves is make budget, the mindset that we're in in that moment can't possibly grab onto the what we need to do the way the mindset did two days ago when it said, oh, you know, you need to make that budget. Exactly. Exactly. So the more information you can give your future self, the easier you can make it for you to get started, the more likely you are to get started. So even simple things, if you have called the dentist on your to-do list, in that moment when you write it on your to-do list, look up the phone number and put it right there. Call the dentist at 512-555, right? And then you are going to be more likely to do it because there's nothing standing in your way. So we just want to be mindful of how we get that flow feeling going and not this, we call it speed bumps. We hit those and we also get brain friction. Exactly. In the few minutes we have left, um, I want to ask you, what do you hope this episode sparks for listeners? The first thing is, I think that a lot of people don't recognize that the way that we operate can be systematized. The way that we store, collect and store and organize and prioritize and act on all of our responsibilities personally and professionally, basically the way that we run our lives can be systematized. And anytime you can apply a system to something, it gets easier. It gets less stressful. It makes you feel more in control. And so, so this idea that is that in my business we refer to as a workflow management system is a thing. It's a thing that you could do. And you could even think of it as a life flow management system. And yes, it takes some time and effort to get started, but the payoffs are massive, according to me personally. And my, my clients tell me uh, often tell me that it's life-changing. And one of the things you remind us in the book is that we're going to be developing a skill in doing this. So if we uh, fall off the wagon, so to speak. Uh, that's okay because we're developing a skill and just like any other skill we're developing, it's going to be a zigzag. And to just get back into using the language that works on our to-do list, to break up our tasks, our tasks in ways that work, and to come back to asking ourselves those two core questions. What kind of person do I want to be and what kind of life do I want to live? And those will get us right back into trying again with these skills that, that do work. Absolutely. And that's the great thing about a system is a a system has steps. And so when you, it's a system is really a path, right? It's a path. I think of the empowered productivity system as the path to productivity. So if you wander off the path, you just have to turn around and look, oh, right, there's the path and just get back on it. It's, it, it has steps to follow. So it's easier to, because sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug, right, Christina? So <laughs> there will be days where we are excellent at implementing our systems and days when we are not so great. But but every moment, every day is a chance to start over again. And my last question is, what do you hope this book series uh, sparks for readers? I am not the kind of productivity or time management person who says to people, just say no more often. Because I think that when people are forced to say no, number one, they say no to things that they 
maybe really want to do but feel like they can't do. Um, most people aren't going to say no to work. The things that most people will say no to are things like coaching Little League and directing the school play and uh, and and engaging in their hobbies again and being with other people and mentoring a person and all of these things. Every person has unique gifts to the bring to bring to the world. And my goal with my my work in this Empowered Productivity book series is just to help people bring their gifts to the world in a way that inspires and motivates and uh, energizes them instead of in a way that overwhelms and stresses and exhausts them. I think the books really are set up in a way to really help people do just that. And I hope that listeners will get one or more of the books in these series that speaks to the uh life management and empowered productivity uh, skills that they need right now. Thank you so much for being here today, Maura Neville Thomas, and telling us about your book, From To Do To Done, How to Go From Busy to Productive by Mastering Your To-Do List. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler. You've been listening to The Academic Life on New Books Network. I hope you will please join us again.